Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. It's day five of the ATP Finals. By that laugh, you can hear that Catherine Whitaker is back. Hello, Catherine. Hello. Hello. Um, we have Someone's got, sounding an alarm. Yeah, somebody to, was sounding an alarm. And, uh, and yeah, that tends to happen when Catherine walks into the media restaurant, where we now <laughs> sit amongst our assembled uh, media colleagues, and we have the best guest we've ever had. Well, certainly since Mary Carrillo was on. It's Sue Barker. <laughs> since yesterday, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Nice uh, to see you guys. Why haven't we got any good tennis matches here, Sue? <laughs> Isn't it weird? I don't understand it. You know, you, when you look at what's just been played or, or throughout Europe and everything, the season's too long. I mean, Djokovic made a very good point that this sport has the longest season of any sport. And I think they're dragging their weary bodies, you know, waiting you know, to, to finish and have their off-season before they start again. Possibly too many too many events in the calendar, too many weeks they're being asked to, to play. Uh, it is a shame because crowds sell out for almost every session and, and they're not really getting the great matches that we've seen so often in the past but having said that the last couple of years haven't been so mm. good either you've just watched the latest dud Catherine oh it was awful <laughs> it was that is one of the worst tennis matches I've ever sat through live Nishikori team I've got to say that was that was reasonable compared to a couple of others <laughs> um, team was okay wasn't it yeah, I mean, it yeah, was yeah, difficult yeah. for him to be anything more than okay because there was so little rhythm for him to play with because Nishikori uh, but Nishikori how can a, a top chances, player be that bad? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how that happens. If he'd have just got a few of those early games, I think he would have yeah. been better. But, but his head too went many, down too so many early. Errors. Yeah. So are you, on, are you still on Team Zverev then? About what, what, what did you make of his comments yesterday about season being too long? Do you, do you think, you know, Look, he sounds been, like a spoiled brat? This has or? been going on for 20 years. I mean, we, we had, we had, I had the debate with Andrew Carson. He just says, you know, don't play as many. You know, you have a chance now. People like Roger Federer manages their careers. You've got to. But from the other side of the coin, you have to think also about sponsors and, and, and other players. And if the top players don't go and play other events, some of the major events around the world, then they're going to go under. So you, and so it's a, it's a vicious circle, really. But I do think the top players do need to manage their uh, calendars a little bit better. But, you know, suddenly you lose a couple of early rounds and you want to play another tournament or something. It's very, very difficult. But but for me, I think the game has changed so much. It's so much more physical than it used to be. It's so much more demanding. And the training they do off-court, 
I look at it and I just think, wow, <laughs> there was nothing like it was years ago. It's, it's changed so much, and, and I think they, they do have to manage their bodies better. Changed so much in the last... Uh, well, well, cause, cause, uh, I asked that question because in response to Zverev's comments yesterday, Yevgeny Kafelnikov had very strong words to say, um, but some of them were colourful, weren't they? <laughs> yes. Uh, he said, this is BS. I used to play, you know, there were a couple of seasons where he played 100-plus matches in a year, know, and he said he you know, was absolutely fine. Every year is different. I just think that the depth of the men's game is so much so much stronger now, and I think the first and second rounds are much tougher than, than they were physically. The rallies are more demanding than they were back in the in the mid 90s look every every era has its great players and they, they bring their strength to the game but for me as they're playing now I just think it's physically mentally so much more demanding than it's ever been and it does take a lot more out of them I, I mean I, I went when I did the Andy Murray documentary to watch him training this was back in 2013 I mean I've just seen footage of him bouncing over all sorts of gymnastic things now it just blew my mind what they what they do the hours they put in not just watched him practice two hours on court then in the gym then in Pilates then doing this it's just non-stop it's not just playing the matches on court there's so much more to it that was never the case before Andy Murray was here last yes, night wasn't he saw that yeah. do you think he is going to get back to something like he was when I saw him bouncing over these <laughs> gym things I thought that it looks pretty fit and, and he showed also uh, some footage of him training and he looked to be hitting the ball really well the key is twisting and turning that hip you know Murray he has to be moving well that's the strength of his game he runs down shots he's a terrier around the court and twisting and turning as long as the hip stays strong yes I think he'll be back but if the if if, if the hip goes again then it, it's the probably one of the toughest injuries to come back from and I'm not sure of a top player who has come back from from a really serious you know, having hip surgery hip injuries fair enough but to have hip surgery so you know fingers crossed he does Mary Carrillo says there's a comeback and there's a come all the way back <laughs> and she thinks Murray might be capable of a comeback you know to, to maybe top 20 but a come all the way back yeah. it, well, as Djokovic has done might be beyond him I'd never say that about Murray because I think he's one of the great competitors very much like Djokovic was I mean I couldn't you know with Djokovic watching him at that Queen's Club final had a match point against Chilich 4-1 up in the tie-break and suddenly there's a double fault and a, and a really bad unforced error in the tie-break. You suddenly think, mentally, where's he gone? Because he was always like a warrior. He played those big points as, as well as anybody on the tour, just like, you know, like Rafa and Roger and, and Andy. And, and it, it had gone, and I thought that mental side of it is gone. And then, of course, come Wimbledon, and I don't know whether maybe it was that Nadal semi-final, but he found himself again. Mm. Once he believed in himself again, poof, I mean, it's just he's just had the most magnificent six months, and I think that could happen to Andy as long as he's physically fit. He's on 14 slams. Don't look at me like that, Catherine. I'm no, you're positive. giving me hope. No, that was a... Re- that was a I allowed myself a little smile. Yeah, Catherine is suddenly rising you know, in her I'm chair. I'm always pessimistic about these things, but you've given me reason for optimism. Yeah, I like it. Me too. I'm pumped. Uh, 14 slams. <laughs> That's his baseline. Novak no, Djokovic has got 14 slams. Uh, He's won the last two. Nadal's got 17. Roger Federer's got 20. What do they retire on? Oh, punchy questions from David Law. It's going to be the most fascinating year next year to see. Look, I'm never going to write Roger off. I'm certainly... I mean, Rafa's still got many years to go, hopefully. Um, who knows? Roger always starts the year incredibly strong. It's it's impossible to it's impossible to tell, but I do think at the age what's he just turned thirty two, uh, he's 
he's got many more Grand Slams in him. Whether he's got another six plus seven plus, mm, uh, it's quite a lot. You know, you look at the younger, and I looked at the the top sixteen, the top twenty of the world now, and you suddenly look at all these youngsters that are lining up, and you think maybe you know this breakthrough will happen, and that, that you know it's exciting times. Is there this. anybody particular that you of the young generation of male players currently, and we're we're at the O2. Uh, there's a few that aren't here. Obviously, yeah. Zverev we've talked about. Is there anybody that really? Passion off and watching him play. You know, in Paris, that was wonderful to watch. Uh, Titsipas, I think, is m- m- wonderful to watch, and I think he's got a huge future. But Zverev, we've been talking about him for the last couple of years. Okay, he hasn't done it at the Grand Slams, but he's only 21 years of age. He's building his body very much, you know, with with Jez Green, and now he's got Lendl on board, and we we know what Lendl can do. You know, having him in your corner is certainly going to help. So yeah, no, this, it's it's exciting few years ahead. We quite enjoyed Alexander Zverev's quotes last night that uh, Ivan Lendl had to learn quickly that I don't just follow the rules, which I was sort of slightly taken aback by. I'm thinking, well, if Ivan Lendl told me what to do, I'd be following what he said. Exactly. He scares me. How do you think he learned? When he said he had to learn very quickly, how do you think that learning process yeah. took place? Well, it was a little. It was a dig at Juan Carlos Ferrero, wasn't it, as well, because he very publicly said when their coaching relationship ended that, you know, he was too strict with me. It, it, that, sorry, that Juan Carlos Ferrero said, you know, trying to get him to turn up to practice on time and he wasn't having it. But I, can you imagine Lendl standing for no, lateness? No, my money's on Lendl. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think well, I, I, I wonder whether he was slightly joking. I, I kind of hope he was I because so. I think he, if he's not, so. he's in for trouble. Well, if, if, if that is the case, I don't think Lendl will stick around. Because no. Lendl, all with Murray, all every time I was there, it was all or nothing. Really? And Murray had to give absolutely everything, even where he was playing, what he was doing, what he was eating, what he was everything. It was uh, you know you are practicing this week down here in my you know I had to cancel Benson go there. So Lendl was very much the driving force there, and I don't think he can work any other way. He never yeah. did on the tennis court. I suppose you saw a fair bit of them together yeah. around that period, especially the first time yeah. they were together yes. in that build-up yeah. to Wimbledon. Obviously, that's when your documentary yes. Yes. ran. Yeah. You must yeah. have got to know Andy absolutely. a little bit more. Absolutely, and, and you saw the relationship between the two and, and I think that's what Andy needed is someone that he respected so much to actually be that sort of dominant figure on the side of the court and and it really worked but you know Lendl he, he will not accept um, turning up at the practice court and someone not turning up so Subaka says Alexander Zverev toe the line <laughs> Well, I think if he does, and I, think, I, think if he does and I think Lendl will be off. I don't right. think he would have signed the deal unless it was going to be uh, 100%. Yeah. Well, we've got some listener questions, which we're going to get into shortly, because they've heard that Sue was going to be on, maybe, and she is now, so we're going to ask them in a minute. However, we've got some politics to discuss. We've brought in Simon Briggs. Hello, Simon. <laughs> Political correspondent. Yes. <laughs> Do I have to talk about Dominic Robb? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who is the Dominic Robb of start? the tennis circuit, Simon? Dominic don't Robb answer that question. Yeah, I think there is definitely an answer. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. The reason you have been brought in is because this morning... <laughs> you should have stayed away from the label payment. Yes. Uh, this morning, uh, we were up uh, bright and early to attend a big unveiling in a cinema. Uh, actually, it was, it was, I was quite looking forward to the film, and there, wasn't, there was only a 90-second one about the ATP Cup, which has been announced today. 24 nations, I think it is, Simon. It's going to take place January 3rd to January 12th of 2020, so just over a year away. Scheduled to be six weeks after the Davis Cup finals, which is basically the same thing, it sounds like, in Madrid. Um, And what did you make of it all? 
how do, where do you we've talked about this before but the fact is they seem like almost identical events and it seems a little non-ideal to me what do you think well they had a very nice video didn't they <laughs> they did have a very nice video you and i did get quite carried away with that didn't we you know is that the technical answer you were looking for no uh, no well i mean the big contrast between atp cup well there are two big contrasts they have one big asset in their favor on each side the davis cup has history the atp cup has a week you know that's a great week that they've chosen there so uh, January the 3rd for Brisbane it's not well Brisbane is probably going to end up as, as, a, as, a, as a host so yeah. you're talking about Doha is that, that, that was the one that they said will continue Doha to run will Doha continue. will continue as Pune might continue in India but well, basically Pune is moving later actually right. but the Australian so Doha, events will so, be thrown in yeah, Doha will be populated by people like the fourth best <laughs> Spaniard or the fourth best and French player the best you know Mongolian yeah right mm. um, yeah the best player who doesn't get in by virtue of being one of the 24 nations so you know they'll have some reasonable players Damir Juma will probably be there won't he um, yeah. anyway uh, 15 million I'm, I'm not sure the maths of where he would be in the list of 24 countries but that's not the point the point is that if you want to play tennis in the week before the Australian Open or technically two weeks before the Australian Open you're going to have to play at the ATP Cup mm. uh, you know with, with a very few exceptions so they had a very big, going to show up they had a fancy video montage in which all these big name players Novak Djokovic made a brief appearance hence the thing was 10 minutes late obviously um, but he didn't stay for questions I think one of the reasons he didn't stay for questions is because only about 16 hours earlier Novak Djokovic had said the idea of having two such tournaments average tournaments they would become is unsustainable and then he's wheeled out to promote this new ATP Cup which is effectively announcing that there will be two events that I mean that how, what were the questions, the questions that were asked of Chris Commode, who was there from an ATB standpoint, and Craig Tyler from a Tennis Australia standpoint, who, who is heavily involved in, obviously, the staging of the, the ATB Cup, plus co- or a shareholder of the Labour Cup. Um, the, the questions that were asked is, is this sustainable? You know, the, the, the Djokovic quotes were put to them. What did you make of their responses? I, th- I think um, like Craig was asked, wasn't he, about whether he's wearing too many shoes. That was the phrase. Yes, that, Ubal- uh, Ubaldo Scanagata asked that question. We, we, we might say hats in, uh, in British, but it was a good question, uh, and uh, it was uh, a very valid point. And he said, look, uh, yes, you're asking me about having the Australian Open, the Labour Cup, the World Team Cup, and I'm saying that I'm proud of all these events, and I think they're all good for tennis, and they're all attracting fans. And, I mean, I spoke the other day. I defended Tennis Australia a bit. I said that they... They're risk takers. They wouldn't be where they are now if they hadn't been prepared to, you know, make big gestures and, and go out on a limb a little bit. I mean, they've turned the Australian Open from an afterthought into arguably the tournament that is the biggest and the best in, in the world. Spectator numbers, certainly. So I thought it was a good defence. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been very frustrated with the whole... International Tennis Federation political drama, and I think it does actually have echoes of Brexit in the way that people were missold. You know, member nations were missold. They were they were under the impression that they were going to get a better week, 
and, and November the 20th, or 21st, isn't it, the 24th next year. That's a pretty terrible week for 18 countries to be involved. Um, so I'm very frustrated with the way that they've handled the whole thing. I think there have been a lot of murky goings on in the background. Uh, I wonder if David Haggerty will survive the next year's election. And, uh, you know, I have more sympathy with the ATP Tennis Australia position than I do with the ITF, but that's just me. Sue, so you were doing some very firm nodding throughout the latter portion of what Simon was saying there. Yeah, I, you know, I just think it, it, it doesn't make sense to have these. And, and we were discussing it earlier, the Davis Cup, when, when it happens. For some players who aren't involved here at the ATP, they've got to keep training for another two, two to three weeks before they can go to their off-season. And it just makes it that much longer. So I think the week is crazy. I'm sad to see the Davis Cup go. I, I love the patriotic crowds. I mean, so many young players, you know, even Andy Murray, they, they got their love for tennis coming along to watch the Davis Cup I think it was I'm sad to see that part of history go that we won't ever see that you know those wonderful matches that everyone remembers and talks about for many many years and and that's just gone it's going to become another event listening to it all I just think they've got to bash their heads together come up with one that whatever they're going to call it and have it at that week at the start of the season with however many countries they are and have one team cup that seems to me what Novak Djokovic was hinting at uh, because nobody wants to play a whole week against all different nations you know right at the end of the season we've seen here that the players are so weary Um, so for me when it would happen or if it will ever happen but the sensible thing to do is to have one team event that is has the stature of, of like the Davis Cup that means a lot and uh, and you go from there at the start of the season whether it'll happen I don't know I mean I would uh, say even beyond that what I would say would be the ultimate solution would be the Davis Cup to continue to exist and go late season but not that late that it is now and the World Team Cup to become a men's and women's event in the first week of the season because Simon Brisbane and Sydney if you're saying they, they will continue to be host cities but for the ATP Cup what happens to the women's events in Brisbane and Sydney yeah, that's, that's definitely is, is an anybody issue. considering and ideally, that that's what I'm saying if you're going to create a new team competition again it can't happen very easily because we all know about the way tennis is governed yeah, uh, I mean, if, if you're starting with a blank speech sheet of paper what is the best for the game is to have a world cup for men and women and that to be the new addition to the calendar then you don't upset the Davis Cup and the Fed Cup which have history I, I think that's more difficult to try and get all, of those, totally all, of, all of those associations well, together the ATP are trying to be innovative as far as you know promoting their game which is why that, this is why they're doing the World Team Cup because they felt that the Sydney and the Brisbane tournaments weren't really doing that well as far as the players go and so they wanted to get something that would bring you know more of the top players in and get them playing get them seen in Australia and get them you know in the build-up to be fair to the WTA that's not that's not the ATP's problem you know they'll have to sort out their own tournaments and work out their you know other places that, that they can go so you can't blame the ATP for what you know for, for the WTA they are just trying to promote the, the game as best they can and, and they see this as the best week to be able to do it on tournaments that were they you know maybe not as strong as other tournaments are. so you can't you can't blame them for that but, but you can blame Tennis Australia who are who, who should be neutral with regards to, well, they to have, and, and they are the WTA, you yeah. know, do whatever they're doing but you know they're also trying to get ratings and seats and Australian tennis back you know 
uh, and it needs a bit of a boost, Australian tennis. So maybe that's you know, they're tr- that's why they're getting more involved in all of these events. What they did say in answer to the initial question about there being two two events and Djokovic's remarks is that they had had long meetings this week with Cosmos, with the ITF. They'd been in a room. They said they didn't give us details other than say there were positive conversations. But timescale-wise, Simon, are we to assume that things will stay as they are for next year? Or at least... Yeah, I mean, every, everything I've heard it suggests that suggestions have been put forward that would create a unified tournament. But that in a way, the ITF, who are at the meetings, they don't really have control anymore over the Davis Cup so in a way that even if they wanted to sign up to the unified deal I'm not saying that they do but if they did they still don't really have that power because Cosmos are really running the ship now um, and what you're looking at is a couple of years in which this model I think Charlie said this yesterday didn't he a couple of years in which this model will be experimented with but a lot of players is probably going to be missing in November for November 21, 24 next year and when the writing for that tournament is on the wall that might be the point at which the, the parties actually do come together mm. Simon when you say um, make the point about the comparisons with Brexit in terms of being missold something with regards to that ITF Cosmos deal do you think the ITF were aware of what they were signing up to or do you think they perhaps feel that, that the consequences of the deal they've done with Cosmos are not entirely what they expected yeah I think they were looking at a different week um, and they were looking as well at rankings points and for various reasons both of those things have failed to eventuate certainly there was a moment when Bernard Giudicelli who's played a big role in this which uh, you know is quite complicated uh, he went to the French Tennis Federation in a bid to get their support before the crucial vote and he was saying to them that there would be ATP rankings points and I think he got like a 60-40 majority to, to pursue the, the, the model of going with Cosmos but you know that's I'm not saying he did it in, in bad faith maybe at that point negotiations on that front were still alive and they subsequently collapsed um, either way, those guys were voting on something that didn't eventuate. So that was one example of mis-selling. Um, I'm not saying it was deliberate, but that, that's definitely how it, how it progressed. Something similar with the weeks. You know, I think people were voting in um, Orlando in August at the International Tennis Federation's AGM on the basis that it, they would find a better week than November 21, 24. Mm. Where would that be? <laughs> I think they thought September. And do you think the Labour Cup has put a spanner in that one? Well, to, to quote Jamie Murray earlier today, I interviewed him earlier today, he says, yeah, they, they probably don't want to tread on Roger's toes. So, oh dear, we're going back to that one again. And also Djokovic saying uh, this morning also about the ATP Cup, oh, isn't it great that rankings points, that will make people want to come and and do it he was really specific mm. about that point so uh, right you, you did sound as though you you were slight, you were sad that davis cup is changing yeah, at all look i you know i'm i'm just a traditionalist i just loved it you know i love watching the davis cup you know growing up i mean when when 
Britain won it. It was just wonderful scenes. I think you know, seeing so many kids coming along and the patriotic scenes. You talk to John Macker, you talk to Leighton Hewitt, you talk to you know, it's all part of their DNA and they absolutely love it. Having said that, I understand that best of five sets, so you know, asking them to play singles and possibly doubles as we do with Andy is probably asking too much in today's mm. game. But that doesn't mean to say I'm not sad to see it go and I, I think it'll be a bit of a watered down affair because you're not going to have those patriotic scenes unless Spain, I mean, who's going to go to Madrid unless Spain are playing? You're not really going to get the, the patriotic scenes that we're so used to seeing in the Davis Cup. And that will be interesting. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Right, at Tennis Podcast, people have been sending in their questions for Sue Barker. Here we go. Right, prepare yourself. Uh, Anderson says, uh, thoughts on the next-gen changes that have been made? I love them. You love all of them? Yeah, I love them. I love them. Yeah, I like... You know, I've watched it and I thought, I'm not going to like this changing the... Having said I'm a traditionalist, here I go. (laughs) But um, the, the shorter sets, it just seemed exciting from the word go. You know, it's just... And I understand why the ATP are doing it, because they want to make it... Um, not as long so it's you know people can concentrate for a short amount of time and understand it so I think it really works whether it will ever come into being I don't know but I found it really exciting I found uh, the shot clock you know keeping it moving so much more towel rail well towels yeah I mean you know why not you know why can't they go and get their own towel I mean I don't don't, you know know, that that's 
probably one I don't really mind. You know, I don't have a strong feeling about, but changing the rules of tennis, uh, I do have a strong. But I, I, I think that I'm mean, talking to the players. The players enjoyed it. They found it, you know, a bit more pressure. So I'm thinking, why not? I certainly think it's worth looking at and deciding. But I don't think it's going to come in for quite some time. What but, do you think? What do you think, Simon? Um, on the rule changes, my feeling is, is that just because something works in one place, you don't have to rule it out everywhere. I like the idea that you can have tournaments which are different. Yeah. Mm. That's my big objection to the tennis calendar as it is at the moment, is that the constant uh, progression is so conveyor belt and everything's so the same. Uh, that, so, you know, I, I think it's great to have all this stuff happening. And just because it's doing well doesn't mean that everyone has to, has to do it. Just have it there. Fine. You know, great. We've got oh, a, yeah, this bit, yeah. a little bit different. You wouldn't want to see the Grand Slam change, would you? Not. And you've but also I mean, got to be careful that you don't favour one style of player either. You yeah. know, you've got to make sure that everybody, you know, whatever style you play is, is, is looked after because that's the beauty of the game. Mm. Mike Tomlinson wants to know who's been your most difficult interview or what has been the most difficult interview situation you've Andrew been in? Andrew Castle, probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh, I don't think a difficult interview. Uh, oh, that, when that, players have cried in front of you and things oh, like gosh. that? Oh, gosh. Well, I think when and probably that was the worst interview I did when 2012 when Andy lost to uh, Federer in the final and it was just like... He just—I could see—he didn't want to talk. He didn't want to come over. He didn't want to talk, and it just broke my heart when he broke down. You know, so so that's really difficult. I hate doing the losers' interviews because, trust me, I had plenty of experience of knowing what that's like. And the last thing you want to do is have a microphone stuck under your nose and being asked to speak. I hate doing it, but they say you've got to do it. So uh, no, that no, it's difficult. But no, that the tennis players in general are all, all pretty easy going. Do you think right. the losers shouldn't be required to speak? I, I in say a Grand to, Slam final. I say to Wimbledon just ask them if they want to come and say something that's fine but if they don't want to and some, they, sometimes they haven't I think Lindsay Davenport didn't come over one year someone else didn't come over one year one of the one of the um, one of the ladies but no I just think you should have the choice because if you are feeling very emotional the last thing you want to do is because it's going global you know you don't want to break down or say something that you regret and I don't you know what can they say other than you know I tried my best I've had a great tournament there's, you know there's not a lot more that, that, that they can say they certainly don't want to get into why they lost and why did you miss that easy backhand at least you, you don't have the awkwardness point. they have at the US Open where they say I know you've lost and I know you're really upset but here's a massive check <laughs> <laughs> if you could just hold that and smile with it for a moment that would yes. be great thanks um, how do you think Johanna Contour is going to get going to get on over the next couple of years do you think she can get back to what she was again of course she can you don't become a bad player overnight I think what worries me is she's constantly trying to find a coach that suits her maybe she needs to look at herself more and find you know what what do I need you know some t- she played so well when she got through to the semi-finals of Wimbledon I thought she was on her way up but everyone in tennis knows it's easy to get up there the first time it's just incredibly difficult to stay there you've got to defend points the next year and she found the pressure just too much you can see that she takes takes it all on board with outbursts to to the media room and she she finds the whole thing overwhelming and I think if she could find someone in a corner that would just calm her down and say it doesn't matter to lose you know you just got to go out but try and find that winning formula again having said that I feel her margins for error are sometimes so small that when she isn't really confident that she will make more mistakes than normal so maybe there's a couple of technical issues that she needs to to look out for but she needs to find someone and stick with them 
and just find a coach because just changing one for another and trying to find the winning formula that way I think she's got to look within herself and find someone that suits her and then just stay with it and go with it mm. yeah it's going to be very interesting isn't it see how she gets on and to see how Kyle Edmund gets on oh absolutely is he going to be here next year well you'd hope so wouldn't you I mean, he's had a great time you know he's, he's... is that what his goal should be for next year absolutely. a realistic goal for him yeah no absolutely he's got to break into the top 10 got to be seeded in the you know top eight. that's what you you know that's what you've got to it changes your life when you move up into that I mean he's found it already as soon as you move up the rankings first of all you get in the big tournaments then suddenly you get seeded in the big tournaments but then you've got to get you know even seeded in the in the you know the masters ones and all that you know so that you you get through and you improve your ranking that's that's the way it goes but he's certainly going in the right direction but as I mentioned before there's a lot of good young players all around him that are all have the same motivation yeah, right. Well, we're going to finish up now, but Sue, I'm going to put you on the spot again one oh, last time because oh. I just like doing it. Um, who's, <laughs> who's going to win here? Uh, oh, well, oh, no. I'm going Federer Djokovic, Federer Djokovic. I'm thinking yeah. going Djokovic. I just think he's had the most incredible uh, year and he, he's looking so good. Possibly, possibly even playing his best tennis ever. I, I admire him so much for coming back and finding that mental strength again. It just shows... Um, so much because I, I thought after 2016 when you could see again we talk about the stress that players are on the mental anguish when he held all four grand slams it was almost like the relief of it and then he couldn't find it again yeah. and can you relate to that as, as somebody who played the game just oh absolutely to punch the in, clock in a much and, lower way obviously yeah, right. but there are times when you, you'd be on a roll and you'd be winning matches and you felt so confident then you lose just one match and suddenly you doubt yourself and he was doubting himself as I mentioned in that Queen's final to see him lose points like that where he was always the the player that would play those so well so for him to find it again and find it so quickly after Queens I, I admire him immensely with what he's done to get back and uh, he's, he's going to win many many more has, yeah. has anyone asked him the, the pork scratching question yet? The what? The Go on, Catherine. Let's soon know what that's Simon about. Simon had a, a big interview with him uh, recently, a fantastic interview, which we played a couple of excerpts on, of on the podcast. And he had planned to ask him a big... You know you know what he's like with his clean eating and healthy living. And he was he was on a, a liquid-only diet for a while, wasn't he? Although I believe Marion Vider has talked him out of that. Um, Simon was planning to ask him do you ever have a day where you just say to hell with this I'm having some pork scratchings or you know whatever your <laughs> pork scratchings might be um, but uh, but it elicited a better answer than that Djokovic <laughs> interu- the question, interrupted no. the question to say to do I, do I, ever, do I ever regret surgery so, yeah. you know, Simon said do you ever you know you, you're known as a clean liver and, and all this and he says do I ever regret surgery and Simon says well do you <laughs> And he said, yeah, I never got back on track one. It was a fascinating answer, but it wasn't the answer to the pork scratching question, which is what I really want to know. know, I really want to know. Right, I'm going in there. I'm going to ask that question next time. Right, well, we'll find out how Roger Federer gets on a little later. We might not come back on after tonight's session because he only needs to win five more games in order to qualify for the semi-finals because of uh, teams win today against uh, Kane Shikori. But, Sue, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for, for joining us. It's been lovely. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Here on the Tennis Podcast. Catherine, thank you.
Simon Briggs, thank you. Thank you. We'll be back soon. We've been produced in association with The Telegraph, with our executive producers, TennisBalls.com, Melanie Bowes and Triple S. We have, uh, you'll like this, Sue, we have a, uh, a mascot who is a ferret called Charlie. Uh, honestly. Of course we do. Yeah, of course we do. And, uh, and also we are sponsored by The Manga Club. We'll be back soon. 